Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives, and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. If you're enjoying this podcast, please follow us using your favorite podcast software. I do want to let you know that I am now available on Cameo. If you go to cameo.greatdetectives.net, you can request I record a video to celebrate a birthday, an anniversary, or congratulations on some sort of milestone. Go to cameo.greatdetectives.net. Now it's time for the first two parts of this week's Yours Truly Johnny Dollar Serial. Now, if you want to hear all five parts together, then pause the episode now and then come back on Friday when we will have episodes three through five posted. But here now, June 25th and June 26th, 1956 are episodes one and two of The Long Shot Matter. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. Welcome to Hollywood, Mr. Dollar. This is Daryl. Daryl? Jim Daryl. Daryl and Clark Insurance. We wrote up the Palmquist policy. Oh, that Daryl. For a minute, I thought maybe... Yeah, yeah, everyone does. Uh, About the policy, understand you're worried about it. National Underwriters is. They asked me to take a look. Come on over and help yourself. It's a simple enough policy. $100,000 coverage on both Dr. Carl Palmquist and his wife. It's that double indemnity clause I'm interested in. Becomes effective the end of this week, doesn't it? That's right. Why? What's wrong? An anonymous letter sent to underwriters. Kind of hints that somebody's going to try to collect. Tonight, and every weekday night, Bob Bailey in the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. From Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to National Underwriters Association, 1180 River Road, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the long shot matter. Expense account item one, $174.90, airfare and incidentals to Hollywood, California. A good night's sleep at the Beverly Hilton Hotel and in the morning sunshine, Hartford's slush was only a clammy memory. Nobody walks in California, so when in Rome... Item two, two dollars even. Cab fare to Daryl and Clark Insurance Brokers. Beverly Hills, where else? Come on in, Dollar. Won't be a minute. Grab a chair. One look at the furnishings and you knew a lot of insurance was sold here. It takes a flock of premiums to pay for the really good modern, the long, clean, functional stuff. Impressive. Jim Daryl was even more so, and I'd have bet that 90% of his policyholders were women. He seemed to be doing two things at once, shaving and keeping track of passers-by in the street outside. I watched him glance quickly out the window for the fifth time, smile happily, then make a check mark on a desk pad. Ah, huh? I give up. What is it? Uh, electric shaver. I mean the bit outside the window. Oh, it's uh, this year's version of counting license plates. You playing alone? Uh-uh. With Clark, my partner. You see, he takes charcoal gray suits and I take Bermuda shorts. Based on strictly how many pass the window. The other side of the street doesn't count. Loser buys lunch. Where's Clark? Seeing Prospect. We play on the honor system. Uh, yeah. Uh, Mr. Darrell. Uh, there, that's better. Yeah. 
Palmquist uh, policy, huh? You uh, want to know about it. Well, you sound reluctant. It's delicate. So is this letter. Look into Palmquist policy. You may have to pay off soon. Nice corny touch there. Letters from a magazine pasted on to form the message. Well, the style's a little old hat, but the meaning's clear enough. You want to fill me in? The Palmquist, Mr. Dollar? The last of one of our oldest families out here. Name, social position, money. They've got it all. That's why I'm not too impressed with this little, uh, communique. You were telling me about the family. Palmquist's a doctor, an important one. Six-dish, to the manner born. Complete with iron-gray hair and distinguished bearing. A, uh, knows-what-he-wants type of man. Has a tremendous practice and still finds time to go hunting about two months out of every year. And his wife? Invalid. Confined to the house. A huge house, by the way, out near the beach. And there's a son, Eric, 25, who lives with him. That's the family. About the policy, Darrell? Simple enough. 100,000 straight coverage on both Dr. Palmquist and his wife. And the beneficiaries? Only one, the son, Eric. For both? For both. Hmm. That's a pretty pointed grunt. Why not? I was thinking of the double indemnity clause that'll be effective in a few days. That's what I thought you were thinking. Well, let me have a couple of addresses, will you? The house at the beach in Palmquist's office. Sure. The uh, office is only a few blocks from here. And, uh, Dollar, please be tactful, will you? Those premiums, they're so lovely. The way to make sure they keep coming is to keep people healthy. Yeah, I guess you have some... Hey, what do you know? Another one. What? Uh, Bermuda shorts. That puts me three up. Clark's going to scream like an eagle when he pays that lunch check. Today we eat at Romanoff's. I walked the four or five blocks to Dr. Carl Palmquist's office. It was easy to find. You just look for the most expensive building in the most expensive part of Beverly Hills, or as the natives sometimes call it, Lootville. As I turned into the entrance, a young executive type brushed past me on the street. Suit? Charcoal gray. I hoped he wouldn't pass Daryl's window. Dr. Palmquist's office was all it should be. Tasteful, quietly lush, the kind of place that made you wonder why he didn't live right there. The nurse who came forward did nothing to destroy the thought. Blonde, complete with doe eyes, retrousse nose, and a figure that floated. Great medicine for the sick. May I help you? I'd like to see the doctor. Do you have an appointment, Mr. Dollar, Johnny Dollar. No, I haven't. Dr. Palmquist isn't in right now. Oh, what time will he be back? Well, he has a 4.30 appointment. Suppose I show at 5, then, Miss... Lund. Steffi Lund. Miss Lund. 5? I can't promise anything. But you might try. Oh, I will. I'll try like mad. Expense account item three, $38 even. Deposit and first day's rental on a drive-it-yourself car. And driving it out along Sunset Boulevard was delightful. I had no trouble at all getting into the California spirit. I pretended that I was a movie producer going home to his starlet wife. I found the Palmquist house on a quiet dead-end street high on the Palisades overlooking the Pacific. Daryl was right. It was huge. A single-story farmhouse that seemed to ramble endlessly. Hmm. Well, it was a long way to come for nothing. I walked around the side of the house. Nobody tried to stop me. I moved through an open breezeway and wished that somebody had, because suddenly I felt like an intruder. Because of the woman sitting in the wheelchair, staring vacantly down at the swimming pool that sparkled in the sunlight. Because of the way she poured a drink from the bottle beside her without ever looking at it. Because of the way she held the glass, as though she wanted you to believe it was sarsaparilla tea, not whiskey. It isn't really medicine, you know. I only pretend that it is. Yeah, sure. Look, I, I didn't mean to barge in like this. 
Mrs. Palmquist? Victor says it's disgusting. Calls it a sign of weakness. Do you feel that way, young man? Well, uh, nobody does anything without a reason. Um, My name is Dollar, Mrs. Palmquist, and, well, I'd I'd like to talk to you for a little while, if, if you feel up to it. Weakness. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, it's... Very sorry. Victor wouldn't like that either. Would you mind wheeling me into the house, young man? I'm very tired. Oh, yeah, sure thing. You just relax. She leaned back in the chair and closed her eyes. She wasn't sleeping, just somewhere off in thoughts of her own. I pushed the chair toward the house as gently as I could. It wasn't until we almost reached it that I realized we had an audience, a good-looking kid in his mid-twenties watching us from a bedroom window. A kid who didn't want to be seen the way he jumped back from the window told me that. It was getting pretty weird out. Inside the house, I wheeled Mrs. Palmquist into a large living room. Gently, patiently, I tried to get her to answer a few questions, but I got nowhere. She wasn't rude, just secretive, smiling, and very far away. I was wondering how to get out gracefully when... I'm so very sorry. I'm afraid I haven't been very attentive, have I, Mr. Dollar? Suddenly, just as clear and lucid as that. I looked around to see what had made this almost magical change, and he was standing just inside the room, the kid I'd seen watching from the window. Eric, come here, dear. This is my son, Eric. I'm afraid I've forgotten where you told me you were from, Mr. Dollar. My mother's been ill, Mr. Dollar. She's not supposed to be disturbed. Oh, now, Eric... Oh, I am sorry. I was just leaving. Good. I'll show you the way out. Oh. Maybe that would be best. You'll come back again, Mr. Dollar, when I'm feeling better. Yeah, sure, of course. Please make it soon. I don't seem to keep very good track of time. Another sign of weakness, I suppose. Well, I... uh... When you show Mr. Dollar out, please come back, Paul. Oh, yes, Mother. You're a good son, Paul. Uh, This way, Mr. Dollar. What do you want here? You can see she isn't well. Yeah, yeah. It didn't take you long to go from Eric to Paul, did it? She is not insane. You hear, Mr. Dollar? I didn't say she was. Now, why did she call you Paul? Paul was my older brother. He died three years ago. That's part of why she's like she is. A small part. Oh, I'm sorry. Nobody's asking you to be. Just don't come back here. I had plenty of time to kill before five o'clock, and a lot of things would have been pleasant. Stopping up the Malibu sun, watching the kids on the beach, you name it. But instead, I settled for a visit with an old friend, Lieutenant Barry, homicide. I wasn't just being social. Pretty sneaky, as a matter of fact. The anonymous note which underwriters had received intrigued Barry, and he promised to have it gone over by the police lab. At five on the dot, I was back in Dr. Palmquist's office. You're a punctual sort of patient, Mr. Dollar. Yeah, I used to get gold stars for it at school. Well, I'm afraid Dr. Palmquist doesn't get one. He called just a little while after you left this morning. Oh? Said to cancel all appointments for today that he wouldn't be in. I'm so sorry. Yeah, so am I. I've 
would have called you, but I didn't know where to reach you. Oh, sure, that's okay. What about tomorrow? I can give you an appointment at 10. How's that? I'll be here. Thanks. Uh, Mr. Dollar, would you like to give me some information now? Like what? Medical history, previous illnesses, complaints, the usual thing. Saves time in the morning. Well, why don't we wait till tomorrow, in case Dr. Palmquist decides to play hooky again. There's one nice thing about this job. You get around so much you learn to pick up local habits without even thinking about it. For instance, that evening, I had a leisurely dinner, then took in an endless double feature, all without ever once getting out of my car. Drive-in, you know. It was well after midnight when I got back to my hotel, feeling a kinship for bus drivers everywhere. I headed across the lobby, ran smack into Jim Darrell as I rounded the cigar stand. Whoa! Oh, dollar, where have you been? Well, hi, Darrell. Hey, who wound up paying for lunch? Listen, I've been trying to get hold of you all night. Where were you? Dinner, a movie, the wildlife, huh? Well, don't look that unhappy. I didn't do anything illegal. Somebody did. What? Hey, what is it, Daryl? What are you talking about? Mrs. Palmquist. Dead. Shot to death. A couple of hours ago. Johnny Dollar. Johnny, Lieutenant Barry, homicide. Got messages from you three inches thick. Yeah, I've been trying to get hold of you all morning. Well, it hasn't exactly been a social tea around here, you know. What with the murder of Dr. Palmquist's wife. Can I come down there to headquarters? Come ahead, and if you're a good boy, I'll introduce you to the man who did the killing. What? Of course, he denies it completely. Who wouldn't? But will you hear his story? It's a wild one. Hold it. You're way ahead of me. You're saying you've got the killer there? That's what I'm saying. Well... Who is he? You wouldn't know him. Nobody seems to. Make a little sense, will you, Lieutenant? Look, you coming down or not? Right now. From Special Investigator Johnny Dollar, location Los Angeles, California, to National Underwriters Association, Hartford, Connecticut. Assignment, the long shot matter. Los Angeles traffic being what it is, there was plenty of time to think on the way to Barry's office. But think about what? An unsigned warning that someone was going to collect on a $100,000 policy? A frail, defeated woman who wasn't going to have to worry about weakness anymore. There was an awful lot to find out before this whole thing could begin to make sense. That was pretty obvious. The man I was going to see was anything but obvious. Big and round, he was like a fat cubie doll with a gun. He always had the feeling his round little eyes were dreaming past you, seeing an island where there was no jail cells. A lot of cons had made that mistake, found out too late that Barry was as sharp as any homicide cop alive. Life is like that, huh, Johnny? Yesterday your visit was social, today it's business. Yeah, just one dead woman can make a lot of difference. Sit down. Like I said, I'm way behind you. How did it happen? When? Sit down. I can't talk when you're standing. Okay. Santa Monica substation got the call about nine last night from Dr. Palmquist. He was real excited, said he was holding a rifle on a prowler who'd come in and shot and killed his wife. So we got out there fast. Wait a minute. Did the doctor know? <laughs> Let me tell it my way, huh? Okay. We found Mrs. Palmquist dead on the living room floor, and the doctor's still holding this guy at rifle point. 38 Colt lay in a corner with nobody paying much attention to it. 
Ballistic says it's the murder weapon, all right. What's the doctor's story? Says he was out on a house call, got home a couple of minutes before nine. On the way to the front door, he glanced through the living room window, saw this prowler holding a gun on Mrs. Palmquist. The doctor got into the house quietly and was sneaking up from behind when the prowler heard him and got rattled. The prowler fired and killed the woman just as the doc brought a paperweight down on his head. Nice, huh? A little out of left field... Funny, I always thought prowlers and gunmen are two different things. Nothing says it can't happen, and the evidence says it did. What does that mean? That this is one prowler who's sewn up tight, because everything checks out. The thirty-eight is his, his prints are on it. Lab found the lock he forced to get in. What else you want, a moving picture? Well, don't get mad, don't get mad. I'm just asking. Now, that house call the doctor was out on, I'm a stranger in town, but isn't that kind of a late hour to see a patient, unless it's a real emergency? Not when they look like this one. Oh? I checked with her this morning. She could make me go to medical school right now, even at this age. Nice, huh? Put it this way. Her first name ought to be Marilyn. Well, that's pretty clear. Who is she? A Mrs. Laura Considine. 35, widow, money, and everyone she'd look like that. She been Dr. Palmquist's patient long? Three or four years. And she backs up the story of the house call completely. You sold? I want to know about the prowler. Who is he? Ex-con, drifter, 57 years old. Got a record that goes way back. What kind of record? I was afraid you'd ask, because that's the fly in the ointment. It's a long sheet and it's buried. Bunko, con game, badger, bad checks, pigeon drop, all small stuff. But not an ounce of violence anywhere. A killing's way out of pattern, isn't it? Yeah. This prowler, what does he claim? It's so wild I'm embarrassed to repeat it. How's chances of my seeing him? Maybe he'll tell me. Barry took me upstairs to what they call the hotshot section. A very exclusive floor, this one, because the cells hold only prisoners suspected of the big rap, murder. You know something? I never heard a place like this, but what an old fallacy comes bouncing back into my mind. That bit about being able to tell a man's character by looking at him. What does a murderer look like? (laughs) Go ahead, put yourself out on that limb, but don't drag me out there with you. Because the man sitting quietly in cell 8A looked about as hard and dangerous as a Victorian antimacassar. Lonnie Miller, prowler and murder suspect. Lonnie Miller, gray-haired, tall and slim, a man with good straight bearing even while he sat. Yet, with a delicacy about him. Or maybe it was just the natural good manners of the born con man. I didn't know. Yell when you want out, Johnny. Yeah. I'm not going to change the story. I'll tell it again, but it'll be the same. Is that what you want, officer? I'm not the police, Miller. My name is Dollar. I'm an insurance investigator. It's a little late for me to buy insurance, isn't it? Miller, you don't have to talk to me if you don't want to, but you'd be helping yourself if you told me the truth. They didn't believe me. Not one word. Why would you? My jobs are different. My interest is in the insurance angle. Did you kill Mrs. Palmquist? I'm nearly 60, mister, and I've done everything in the book. Almost everything. But I never killed. Never. I can't make them see that. Yeah, I know. Told them a hundred times, word for word, step by step. They just sit and look at me. What do I have to do to make them believe I didn't do it? From what I hear, they've got an awful lot of evidence that says you did. You too, huh? Go away, mister. You may be a little different kind of cop. You're talking like all the others. You're thinking like them. Let me alone. You haven't got much chance, Miller, if that's your only answer to evidence. Evidence? I know all about that stuff. You can buy it and sell it, manufacture it, 
Make it stand up and do tricks. The cops... Miller, you're talking through your hat. You've been the route. Do you know one case where the police ever manufactured evidence? And I don't mean con talk. I mean one you actually know of. What's the difference? Look, why don't you tell me about it? Think you could listen without sneering? Nobody else can. Try me, huh? Now, how did you get into this? I just finished doing time in San Diego. Been hitchhiking my way up from there. Four nights ago, a truck let me off on the Pacific Coast Highway about 15 miles south of L.A. A few minutes later, a man in a big cab gave me a lift. Nice enough fella. A little nosy about where I was from, where I was going, things like that. But, but nice. Yeah, go on. After about five minutes, he decided we needed coffee. So we stopped at a little tacos joint. Ten minutes later, we were back on the road. After about two miles, he said it felt like we had a flat. So we stopped. It was a flat, all right. Left rear. So? Well, he had given me the lift. The least I could do was to change his tire, so I did it. He was real friendly the rest of the way. Told me to stick around town and he'd see I got a job. He gave me a 20. Told me where to get a room and said to wait for him to phone. He said his name was Carter. You do what he said? Last night he called me. Said to be at his house at nine sharp to meet a man who had a job for me, an address in the Palisades. Well, go on. The house was dark when I got there, so I rang the bell. Someone opened the door. I took one step inside and got hit on the head. Next thing I know, I'm coming to on the living room floor. There's a dead woman a few feet away. And my friend Carter is holding a rifle at my head, threatening to blow it off if I move. Only when the cops got there, they didn't call him Carter, but Dr. Palmquist. Palmquist? Miller, do you realize what you're saying? I know. And every word of it's the truth. Now tell me this, mister. How do I get anyone to believe it? Miller sat there quietly looking first at his burning cigarette, then at me. It was as though he didn't expect either one of us to believe him. I was glad to get out of there. Well, I'll say this much for Miller, Johnny. He's got that story down pat. He didn't tell you one word that he hasn't been telling us. Lieutenant, does Dr. Palmquist know what Miller claims? We haven't discussed it. Didn't I tell you the doctor's resting at Blair Hospital for a day or so, shock of his wife's death? Do you intend to tell him? Look... I know you're a fellow who automatically roots for the underdog, but face it, boy, what have I got? An ex-con with a wild story against a respected citizen with a perfect alibi. I'd look kind of silly questioning Palmquist at the moment. At the moment? Does that mean you've got doubts about Palmquist? I doubt everybody till the last page, boy. That's how I got to be lieutenant. And that's where we left it. I had a long, thoughtful lunch, which included two very dry martinis aimed at helping solve a new problem. To which, how best to arrange a few words with a hospitalized Dr. Palmquist at such a delicate time. In the end, I did the only thing I could. Walked into room 913 at Blair Hospital and introduced myself. Dr. Palmquist didn't seem at all surprised by the visit. He seemed annoyed, if anything. But the annoyance was with himself. I'm not a very good advertisement for my own profession at the moment, am I, Mr. Dollar? I, uh, I'm sorry to intrude, Doctor. I probably could have picked a better time for a visit. You've been doing your best... 
What? Which do you prefer, Mr. Dollar, my office or my home? Would you like the names of a few friends? Perhaps they can tell you whatever it is you're trying to find out about me. It's my job, Doctor. And just what is your job, Mr. Dollar? Insurance investigator for the company that holds the policy on Mrs. Palmquist and yourself. I see. Then you can stop running around now, can't you? You can simply go to the police and they'll tell you anything you want to know. <sighs> Doctor, may Mr. I... Mr. Dollar, I don't usually prescribe without a thorough examination, but... Please do. Very well. I don't think California is your cup of tea. I suggest another climate entirely. The visit was over. Palmquist lay back against the pillows, no longer interested, and I turned to leave. Just as I was reaching for the door, it opened, and one of the most beautiful women I'd ever seen started into the room. I think you have the wrong room, madam. For a moment, she just stood there, startled. Then, without a word, she turned and hurried out. But not before I'd gotten a good look at the large block initials on the purse she carried, L.C. The two letters plus the way she looked made Laura Considine a pretty good bet. Nice twist, huh? The doctor is ill and the patient comes to call. You can't trust anybody these days, can you? Now, here's our star to tell you about tomorrow's intriguing episode of this week's story. Tomorrow, beauty may be skin deep, but fear goes a lot further down than that. Sometimes as far as death. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, is transcribed in Hollywood. Written by Tony Barrett, it is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone. Be sure to join us tomorrow night, same time and station, for the next exciting episode of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. Roy Rowan speaking.
Welcome back. Given that this aired in June, it doesn't seem likely Hartford is going to be all that slushy in summer. Of course, this could have been written with a different time of year in mind. Also, according to John Abbott's The Who Is Johnny Dollar Matter, an antimacassar is a cover used to protect the back or arms of furniture. Seems a bit florid uh, for yours truly, Johnny Dollar, when trying to describe how suspect look. Otherwise, though, this is an intriguing first two episodes with a lot of mysteries to investigate. And so I'll withhold more comment until we get to Friday. Now, on to listener comments and feedback. I uh, received an email here from Jim regarding the laughing matter. Uh, and he writes... While John Daner may not have pulled it off as a comedian, Harry Bartell talking in Spanish and Spanglish was well done and almost comedic. Uh, another uh, listener over on Spotify writes regarding the laughing matter, and this is John uh, CG727, says, Very good quality, interesting episode, maybe one of the best. And over on YouTube... Electric Tofu Muffins writes of the matter of reasonable doubt. Pretty good. And then I also received this comment uh, regarding uh, the Christmas Radio Detectives uh, playlist over on YouTube. And uh, uh, the listener Malaka writes, Fabulous uh, podcast and channel. I was so pleased to see a playlist featuring Christmas Detective Sows. Such a delight. It's a bit early, but happy holidays to you and yours. Thank you so much for curating these old-time gems. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate the comment. And I'm always glad to have that playlist. And we also do have a podcast feed just of our Christmas programs. And it's interesting. Most months over the last nine months, we've had about a thousand or more downloads from our Christmas detective feed. I don't have a way of tracking how it goes on YouTube. Well, there might be a way and I, I just don't know it. But there's definitely an interest in these programs year-round. And while I would prefer that, like, corporate celebration or recognition of Christmas not come so early in the year, I'm happy to provide Christmas programs for people to be able to listen to any time of the year they need a little bit of Christmas. So thank you so much and appreciate you listening. Now it's time to thank our Patreon supporter of the day. Thank you to Sean, Patreon supporter since June of 2018, currently supporting the podcast at the detective sergeant level of $7.14 or more per month. Thank you so much for your support, Sean, and that will do it for today. If you're enjoying the podcast, please follow us using your favorite podcast software. And be sure to rate and review the podcast wherever you download it from. We will be back on Friday with the conclusion of this week's Yours Truly Johnny Dollar Serial, but join us back here tomorrow for Dangerous Assignment, where... You sound like USA yourself. Uh, not really. Although I spent many, many years in the States. I was raised there. Oh, really? Yeah, in New York City. 60th Street, just off Broadway. Oh, sure. Not far from Columbus Circle. Yeah, in Central Park. Had a lot of fun there as a kid. Later, we moved out to California. Los Angeles. <laughs> Correction. Los Angeles. Oh? Yeah, soft G. It's official now, so I heard. Chamber of Commerce took a voting or something. Oh. Uh -huh.
Well, let's have a drink sometime, huh? Sure. Be good to talk over the good old USA. Well, good night. Good night. I see you have met a friend. Yeah, he almost caught me listening at his door, Drobo. He just got a phone call. Oh, did you hear what he... No, I couldn't get any of the conversation. It might have been the tip-off, though. Hey, he just eased out the side door. Come on. I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives. And check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.